Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll take a look at the NBA and what's going down with the play-in and the playoffs. We'll take a look at the NFL and talk about what's going down with the Shield. We'll look into the WNBA, talk a little MLB, and then we'll have our best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something, but don't forget to follow the show at Sports. I repeat, at Sports on Twitter and Instagram for breaking news and show updates. I'm constantly on the Twitter all the time. The Instagram, not as much, admittedly, but always on the Twitter. And therefore, a lot of breaking news happening there. All kinds of sports coverage. Definitely check that out. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Now, again, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show, man. I love that music. I do. I love that music. It's it's great, smooth. It's got a little rhythm to it. I like it. Uh, shout out Gabe Johnson out of Houston for the beat and the background music. Uh, for the intro music, I should say, and the background music. Uh, if you need us contact info, I will definitely be available for that. Just DM me at me on Twitter, uh, at me on Instagram, DM me on Instagram. Um, one of those two, and I definitely link you guys together if you're interested in some of his work. He's pretty good, does it pretty often. Um, again, shout out Gabe Johnson out of Houston for the intro music and the background music. Um, but let's jump right into this now. I mean, the NBA is in full fledged. Uh, I told you guys a couple weeks ago that eventually my show was gonna swing from NFL heavy to NBA heavy, and we have reached that point. Obviously, with the NFL being in nothing land right now, it's after the draft. It's really and truly after free agency. It's before camp start. You know, rookie mini camps have only, only thing that really been happening so far. Um, basic trial stuff. We'll get into the NFL later. The show has officially swung into an NBA heavy show. And with that being said, the NBA's newest invention, which I think should be a permanent invention or a permanent staple in the nba season the play-in tournament has delivered everything and i do mean everything that we were promised it would deliver the matchups were insane obviously we got lebron stuff obviously we got uh you know Lamelo ball was involved you got the pacers and their scrappy young team you know you got a lot of guys a lot of big names were involved in this the boston celtics were involved in the playing tournament i think it's a great idea and I think it should remain. And we're just going to break down the play on, the playing games as they have been occurring. Uh, starting off with the Wizards and the Boston Celtics. Now, this was a game for the seventh seed in the East. Uh, obviously, Boston was seven. The Wizards were eight. And like I said, this is a game for the seventh seed in the East. Now, this game was supposed to be Russ versus Tatum or Russ and Bill versus Tatum. Uh, a lot of people picked Washington, myself included. And to win this game, looking at Boston, they were spiraling. They lost 10 of their last 15. Washington had won something like 12 of their last 18. Uh, they would use a team going the opposite directions. You had a duo and Bill and Russ that were absolutely rolling. And you had Tatum, who was playing well, but by himself. Kemba Walker wasn't is not really showing up. He looks like a shell of himself due to those knee injuries. Jalen Brown is basically he's done for the season he's not basically out he's done for the season the boston Celtics have no size so you think 
theoretically that would allow Rust and Bill to get to the rim, to dominate at the rim, and to hang, you know, 30 apiece or Rust get one of those 25 point triple doubles, Bill goes to 40, that sort of thing. I was expecting Washington to win by 8 to 12 points. Uh, boy, was I wrong. Uh, but hey, I was, like I said, I wasn't the only one. A lot of people picked uh, the Washington Wizards to win that game because Jason Tatum lost his mind. He went for 50, including making something like 17 of 18 free throws or something like that. He was going insane. He, he had a 50-piece nugget with extra sauce and no napkins. He made an absolute mess of the Washington Wizards defense. It didn't matter who was on him. Bill, Russ, uh, the rookie, Roy Humanchura, excuse me for mispronouncing the name. Um, it didn't matter. I mean, the best player on Washington ended up being Ish Smith. Bradley Beal looked like he was dragging around his leg by the third quarter. Russ had no bounce after halftime. Um, he had 13 rebounds in the first half and had one in the second half. He looked like he had absolutely no lift in his legs during the second half, missing easy running layups up until the game was over when Tatum pushed too far out of the way. But Boston, man, or Tatum just in general, played well, played extremely well. Tatum lost his mind. Um, Kimball Walker was serviceable. Tristan Thompson played well. Evan Fournier hit key shots. Uh, Brad Stevens looked like he had a game where he leaned on his superstar. You know, a lot of times that's what we're hearing about Brad Stevens. How comfortable is he coaching superstars? Uh, how comfortable is he not having guys in a hard, fastened system where it's him? You know, because that Butler, think about it. He, his best player ever was Gordon Hayward, which is the reason why Gordon Hayward ended up on the Celtics to begin with via trade was Brad Stevens pushed to get his guy back, pushed to get his pod Piper back. Uh, some little we're going to talk about a little later with Tebow and Urban Meyer, pushed to get the guy who made him him uh, back in the fold. And so he pushed a lot for Gordon Hayward. Obviously, unfortunately, first game of the year in his Boston tenure, he breaks his ankle and never really looks like himself after that his entire Boston career. But, you know, at Butler, Brad Stevens had Gordon Hayward was his best player. Everybody else there was, I mean, even Gordon Hayward was a, a under-ranked player and had to go to Butler instead of going to a Carolina or a Duke or a Syracuse because he wasn't ranked that highly. So it was system, system, system. You're here. I believe in you. Here's my system. Run that system. We're going to be great. When, he, when Brad Stevens gets to the Celtics, he has a young Tatum. He gets a young Brown. Um, he, You know, that core and that he has now was really, really young. Okay, you guys are young. You have talent. Here's my system. We're going to develop you. It didn't work with Kemba. A, Isaiah Thomas basically got rid of the system in the fourth quarter and went one-man ISO. But he led the league in scoring in the fourth quarter with like nine points a game in the fourth quarter. Um, it, he didn't connect with Kyrie Irving. He would He's working with Kemba Walker, but Kemba's body is a generator. And now you're hearing stuff about how him and Tatum or him and Brown or just the stars, the young stars on Boston, are not on the same path as the young stars uh, or as head coach Brad Stevens, rather. And so, you know, there's a lot of disconnect there. And it felt like Brad Stevens just decided, you know, forget my system. I don't even have all my guys with me. I'm going to depend on my superstar. And he leaned on Tatum. He gave Tatum the ball. And Tatum went to work. They gave like 35 in the second half. Uh, like I said, Washington did not like they came to play. And so Boston secures the seventh seed and they route. Uh, in, in the garden, and they play Brooklyn in the first round, a matchup we're going to talk about along with the rest of the playoff first round matchups uh, in a few minutes, a little later uh, during this segment. 
And then, so Tatum loses, mine goes to 50. And then the next game on the docket is Charlotte and Indiana. This is the game I have Charlotte winning. Uh, this is the 8-9, this is the 9-10 matchup. The winner of this game gets to play the Wizards um, for the eighth seed. I had Charlotte winning this game, especially with Indiana. They had a Brogdon was on the injury report. Turner was out. Karis LeVert was out. I'm looking like, man, r- wrong time for Indiana to have an injury wave. Now, Charlotte was down Gordon Hayward, which that was a little Martin controversy. Uh, Stephen A. Smith said on first take that he talked to people inside the Charlotte, the Charlotte organization who believed Gordon Hayward could have played but chose not to. Um, so that is a situation automatically that is kind of the riff we heard with Gordon Hayward in Boston, where there was times people thought he could have came back. Maybe he was out three weeks of the injury and his medical people and stuff like that thought it was a week and a half, thought it was a 10 day, 14 day injury. And he sat out 21 days um, or, you know, he would have a minor tweak somewhere and he's done for a week instead of being out two, three days. Um, so that was something that it reared its head in Boston and now it's rearing its head again in Charlotte. Uh, that is a pattern, which is a concerning pattern. But back to the game, uh, Charlotte was saying, like I said, Gordon Hayward, that's pretty much it though. They got Miles Bridges back and Indiana was out a lengthy amount of people. He said, no Miles Turner, no uh, Karis LeVert. We thought no Malcolm Brogdon, even though he ended up playing, wasn't a huge contributor, but he ended up playing. Uh, And Indiana absolutely annihilated Charlotte. It was over in about six minutes. Charlotte quit by the third quarter. Uh, You can just look on their faces. The youth and inexperience jumped out. You had 19-year-old LaMelo Ball. Terry Rozier is a veteran player, but he hasn't been in many big games in his career. Miles Bridges, how many meaningful games he played in Charlotte? How many meaningful games has Malik Monk played in Charlotte? How many meaningful games has uh, Zeller played in his career? And you looked at that and you saw an Indiana team that not only didn't, I mean, they didn't have a ton of experience, but they still have a TJ McConnell. You still have Malcolm Brogdon, who, you know, has had Milwaukee playoff experience. You have TJ McConnell, who's had Philadelphia playoff experience. Doug McDermott, the Pacers were in the playoffs last year. That team, I mean, the majority of the players on that team that contributed in the game, the playing game, were on the team last year. So they are used to a situation where it's a game for your life. I mean, Indiana had to go crazy in the bubble and they climbed up uh, a few seeds during the bubble period in order to make a good playoff run behind TJ Warren at the time. But the inexperience of Charlotte jumped out. You can tell they were young. Like I said, the game was over in about six minutes. Um, They were already up, you know, 15, 18 points. You can see the body language on Charlotte. It wasn't good. Uh, The coach started pulling LaMelo and pulling the inexperienced players, trying to get veterans on the court to keep them in it. It was just too late. Doug McDermott went crazy. Um, the Pacers had everybody scoring double figures, but like five people. They had seven, eight guys in double figures. Everybody scored on the roster except two. It was it was bad. Uh, absolute route, like 144 to 117 or something like that. Charlotte's defense lacked energy. It lacked effort. It lacked care. Um yeah, it was it was flat out embarrassing by Charlotte. I I that was the worst I've seen them play fully healthy. I mean, they weren't fully healthy. They had Gordon Hayward, but usually when Lamelo Ball is in the game, they have energy at least offensively. They didn't even have a ton of energy offensively. I mean, they were having three on one fast breaks with a guy with the ball who wasn't in the middle of the floor was trying to take the layup instead of throwing a lob over the head. It was just a very un-Charlotte kind of game, uh, especially for the ones we are accustomed to seeing from them. 
Um, so that was shocking. Uh, Indiana had a lot to do with that. And inexperience had even more, in my opinion, to do with that in terms of Charlotte's inability to produce at a high level. Um, so Indiana wins the game, like I said, in an absolute route. They had guys I've never heard of talking noise. I'm be honest. I typed the guy's name one time, O'Shea something or another. We're selling Charlotte. Get these bleep bleeps out of here. Um, yeah, I, I, I still don't know who he is. I, I'm, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but I, I have no idea who he is. I'm sure he's a. I'm sure he's a better than 99% of people on playing Earth playing basketball. But he's not NBA relevant. I, I it's O'Shea something. I, I don't know his last name. Um, yeah, I mean he was talking to his Indiana was absolutely on fire. Like the Doug McDermott flashback to the Creighton days. Uh, he was absolutely losing his mind out there. I think he made like something like six threes, five in the first half. He was going crazy. Um, but yeah, Indiana wins the game and gets the right to play the Washington Wizards for the eighth seed. Which in that game, you get the right to play the Philadelphia 76ers. And we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. And then shifting over to the Western Conference play-in, which began with the San Antonio Spurs on the road uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, the Spurs were the 10 seed holding off the Pelicans, who suffered a lot of injuries late. A cluster of injuries. His Ion, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Steven Adams. Basically, the whole style lineup was out. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Josh Hart. Uh, the Pelicans were charging the Spurs, and then the injuries happen, and so the Spurs ultimately hold on to the tenth spot, uh, and they get to play the Grizzlies. So you go on a road situation, same situation that the Hornets and the Pacers were in. The winner of this game was not in. The winner of this game had to play the loser of the game. We'll talk about after this um, for the rights of the eight seed. But in order for your season to continue as a nine or ten seed, you had to win the nine ten playing game. Uh, which started off in a route. Uh, it looked like I, 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 I made the comment to a few of my friends. About six minutes in the game, I was looking at San Antonio the same way I was looking at Charlotte. Like, oh, they're done. Like, Charlotte absolutely quit. Um, I should have known better from a great Popovich team. But I was looking at them like they're done because they were down 15 points. With, I mean, it, it was first quarter, but you can just tell the way the game was going. Uh, first play of the game would have fooled you, though. Because DeJounte Murray ripped John ja Morant by as clean as you can rip a point guard in the NBA and got a dunk. And then the next possession, DeJounte Murray blocked a shot. And then somebody else blocked another shot and then he got a layup. So the first two possessions looked like San Antonio was about to suffocate the life out of Memphis. Uh, if I'm Greg Popovich for the first minute and a half of that game, I'm smiling from ear to ear. Because my defense is rolling and my offense is being smart. Um, but then everything turned. Jonas Valanciunas... I, I can't even say flashback to the past. They had to be one of Jonas Valanciunas' best game of his career, uh, finishing with 23 rebounds and 23 points. John Morant had a good game. They got strong contributions from Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks was, if Jonas Valanciunas didn't do what he did, Dylan Brooks would be an MVP of that game. DeMar DeRozan was something like one for 10 when being guarded by Dylan Brooks. He absolutely worked DeMar DeRozan on the defensive end. He made sure he stayed in front. He played him to the percentages. He backed off, gave him space. But when DeMar took those two good dribbles to get to the mid-range, he contested shots late. He was at him at the rim. Dylan Brooks had an amazing game. He even had a couple of deflections. Uh, it was amazing by Dylan Brooks. Definitely, like I said, would have been the MVP of the game had Jonas Valanciunas not gone for 23 points and 23 rebounds. 
Uh, and basically, when he was on the floor, Giannis Valanciunas, rather, was on the floor, the Grizzlies, like, ran away from the Spurs. I don't have the exact plus minus, but we're way better than the Spurs. And then, when he was off the floor, they were literally buying time for him to rest up to get him back on the floor. And so, Giannis Valanciunas was the MVP, but Dylan Brooks definitely, and I do mean definitely, received second place. A very strong second place. If it wasn't for... Um, if it wasn't for Jonas Valanciunas being the guy uh, on the boards and the points for Memphis. So absolutely great performance. Um, the Spurs lost. Like I said, they, they made it a game, though. I thought it was over, and then they cut it down to two, and they never got it closer to two. They, they took the lead briefly in the third quarter, uh, but then Memphis took it back and then stretched it back out in the fourth quarter. So uh, kudos to... The Memphis Grizzlies for getting to the second game. Uh, the Spurs lost. They become, for the first time in history, especially under the great Popovich era, they missed the playoffs for consecutive seasons. Um, there's already rumors swirling and swirling for over a year now, two years now. Uh, Pop was retiring. Now, for a long time, people thought Pop and Duncan were linked. When Duncan was decided to walk away, Pop would be next to him at the press conference, also walking away. Um, but obviously, Duncan retired a few years ago, and Pop's still around. Now people are thinking that he's reaching that point. Uh, I've said a few times, I think the Olympics would be the last time we see Pop on a sideline. Now, that was pushed back from 2020 uh, due to the COVID, but now the Olympics will occur in 2021. And... I'm still holding fast to that, that I, that I believe Greg Popovich's last time coaching pro competitive professional level basketball will be for the 2021 Olympics for the USA but men's basketball team, probably hoisting a gold medal. Um, I was going to say under the stewardship of LeBron, but due to injuries, you know, that might not happen. But uh, I believe Pop's last time coaching a competitive team will be, like I said, on the sideline for Team USA, I don't see him coaching the Spurs next season. I will be shocked if he's coaching the San Antonio Spurs next season. Obviously, I don't expect an announcement to be made, at least not right before the Olympics. If he's, if he's going to truly do it after the Olympics and his mind is made up, I don't expect for them to announce it until um, either right before the Olympics or during the Olympics, uh, something of that nature. Um, so I, I think Pop is looking for his replacement. I think had he had a guy on his bench or one woman, you know, he, he's, you know, Becky Hammond, a, a staffer on his bench that he can go to RC Buford and say, hey, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm off the grind. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go home. I'll work in a front office capacity or I'll work as a consultant, um, a la Jerry West, just so I can be in the building every day. So I have building access, um, help the new coach transition, etc. But the day-to-day -day on the planes, getting you know on the sideline, 82 games scheduled. I, I'm I'm done with that. Uh, all right, I'm sure the Spurs organization goes whatever you whatever you want. You can keep, you can keep your current pay. We'll throw a consultant on your title, and you can come in when you want. Don't come in when you want. It's up to you. Uh, but I think if he had a person on his staff that he trusted to take over the day-to-day -day coaching, Pop would leave. Uh, I think Becky Hammond would be my pick or Tim Duncan to be my pick of the coach. I think Becky Hammond more than Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan feels like another one of those guys that the Spurs are going to pay forever as a quote-unquote consultant. Um, 
or some kind of player development, something, you know, some some title they can give where they can keep paying them four or five million dollars as a thank you. Um, just something that they can do for Pop or Duncan. I, th- I, I think the leader in the clubhouse should be Becky Hammond uh, or Becky Hammond, rather. Uh, the s- former WBA star, she's coached the G League team to a title. Uh, she's coached the Summer League team to a title. So I think Becky Hammond should be the uh, pick for the pop if he chooses to walk away like I believe he will after the Olympics. But all of that has led us to the game that was the most anticipated. It might be the most anticipated single play off or in game before game one of the finals. I mean, maybe if the Clippers and the Lakers play, you might that, that might beat it. Um, Brooklyn, LA, either Brooklyn Lakers would definitely beat it if, if it happens. But the Warriors and Lakers, before I even get into the basketball game, the the game averaged 5.8 million viewers on ESPN, ABC, ESPN. That is the most they have had for a rating of a basketball game since game one of the Western Conference Finals in 2019. So it beat the bubble. It beat everything they had in the bubble. It beat everything they had in 2020. It is 2019 was the most watched, since 2019 Western Conference Finals game one, the most watched game on ESPN for a basketball game. It averaged 5.8 million viewers. I watched from start to finish. I watched all of the games start to finish, but I watched start to finish. And it was, it was a little to the hype. Uh, it was helped. It was definitely helped by LeBron James. That doesn't look to be all the way back. You can tell uh, some stuff. For the first time in my career, I'm nervous. When, Le- when the first uh, first time his career, rather, I'm nervous when LeBron drives. It used to be LeBron was Iron Man. Didn't matter. He got hit. I'd never worry. Ankle touched the floor. He wrap it. He wrap it up. He tighten his shoe really, really tight. Keep it moving. He would get knocked to the ground. Oh, well, he's getting up. Now he's going to the lane, and he's coming down and watching to see if anybody's foot is by his ankle or if anybody has the possibility of landing on him and possibly, you know, knocking his weight off balance and putting any kind of unnecessary pressure on that right ankle. And it's the first time in my life. I mean, I'm 24 now. He's, this is what, 18th season, 17th season? I mean, this is the first time in my life I'm really watching him to see how he lands. I'm treating him how I treat Zion. As a Pelicans fan, I am nervous every time Zion goes in the crowd. I got less and less nervous as the season progressed. But when the season started, when Zion would go in the crowd, when Zion would fall, when he would bump into three people, and then I'm scared to death somebody's foot comes under his, come under his foot, I'm at that point with LeBron. It's gonna take me a few games of him not tweaking anything for me to be like, okay, he he he's fine, he he's okay. But back to the game itself, the Warriors were helped out by the Lakers' inability to hit a jump shot. The Lakers shot something like 28% in the first half, or 30% in the first half, and we're down 12. Um, Anthony Davis couldn't throw a brick in the ocean standing in a boat in the middle of the Atlantic. He could not post Draymond Green. Draymond Green earned all of his Defensive Player of the Year nominations uh, two nights ago. He couldn't move Draymond Green, settling for jump shots, missing those. Uh, LeBron couldn't really couldn't really turn the corner. He got blocked by Andrew Wiggins, got blocked again under the rim. 
uh, tried to turn the corner, wasn't as successful in doing that. Uh, couldn't hit a jumper. At one point, the Lakers and I mean, at one point, the Lakers. Sorry, at one point, the big three for the Lakers, Schroeder, AD, and LeBron, had combined for something like three of twenty-four. Uh, Schroeder was like 0 for 8, 0 for 9. LeBron had made two field goals. AD had made one. But like I said, the Lakers were still in it. Uh, Steph wasn't on absolute fire just yet. He, he ended up getting 37, but he wasn't scorching for a 50-piece game. Otherwise, the Lakers would have gotten blown out of the building. Andrew Wiggins played exceptionally. Uh, I talk a lot of junk about Andrew Wiggins often. But he played exceptionally. Juan Toscano Anderson played well. Jordan Poole, uh, also the Warriors, played great. Uh, Fesses Azili did his role. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if Fesses Azili scored. If he did, I don't remember. Um, but he absolutely did his role as Draymond's height um, in, in under the rim. So Draymond is a smart defender. He's a physical defender, but he's only six foot six, six foot seven. So what happened was people, AD would try to get to his spot and hook over him. But then Fess Azili would contest the hook. So Azili was like Draymond's height, where Draymond would do a lot of the smart physical work, and then Azili would come over the top and try and make it harder on you. He also made it harder on Andre Drummond, who they ended up flat out benching in the second half. Uh, they went to the lineup AD isn't a fan of, which is AD at the five, LeBron at the point, fill out the middle with smart bet shooters, such as a Wesley Matthews, such as a um, Alex Caruso, who was the best guard for the Lakers, uh, he massively outplayed Schroeder. Schroeder shot three for 14. If memory serves me correctly, Caruso was above 50%. He flat out outplayed Schroeder. Uh, Caruso was the second best guard on either team on the floor. Obviously, he was better than Steph Curry, but he was the second best guard by either squad on the floor that played. Um, and then the second half, you know, Steph hits one of his signature, well, into the first half rather, Steph hits one of his signature flip wrists. Swiss shots, I mean, from like 30, 35 feet. Uh, end of the half, the Lakers are walking off the floor. It, it, it looked a little depressing, honestly. Uh, Jordan Poole and Toscano Anderson chirp a little bit of LeBron and AD, and they just walk off the floor. You know, it, it looked a little depressing. Now, according to LeBron, Jared Dudley and Marcus Morris were the, um, or Keith Morris, well, the more, one of the Morris twins, were the main voices in the locker room at halftime saying that like, we need to get our bleep together. Like, I don't know what's going on, but we need to get it together immediately on offense and defense. And, you know, they were doing a pretty decent job on Steph. Obviously, he's going to get loose. Uh, he got a great couple backdoor cuts uh, when they tried to overplay him for screens. They were blitzing him on the screen. They were double-teaming him immediately, pulling the ball out of his hands, making somebody else on the Golden State Warriors do something productive to beat them. And it was working for the most part defensively. They offense was just terrible. Uh, in the second half, the defense ratcheted up. The offense came a little bit better. Uh, LeBron started making shots. Anthony Davis started making jump shots. It still wasn't the smoothest thing on planet Earth. But they were able to make jump shots and close the gap, uh, which got it down to 100-100 uh, with about a minute and 10 seconds left. And we know what happens next. LeBron passes to KCP. KCP gets in the lane and gets stuck uh, and kicks it back out to LeBron, who's standing at the R in Staples Center. And fading away over Steph, 34 feet, nothing but net. 
absolutely insane shot. And you could just look at Steph's face when LeBron make it. And it had to be a little bit of irony for Steph. It's like, that's the face everybody else gives Steph. Like, I can't believe you just made that. Because he caught it with less than a second left on the shot clock. So he had to catch it in, or just over a second. He had to catch it and fire. It was an absolutely amazing shot. Oh, he made it. I fell on the floor, basically. It was it was insane. I, I, I completely left my seat. I was on the floor. Then I was up yelling. It was a crazy shot because of a situation where it felt like, or a kind of situation, like game seven of the 2016 finals, where neither team had scored for a couple of minutes, and you're just sitting on there on this anticipation of someone's going to have to make a shot. Uh, in game six out of 2016, game seven of the 2016 finals, neither team had scored for over a two and a half, three minutes, something like that. Uh, even like Iguodala had the layup and LeBron blocked it, which led right into Kyrie's shot. Same situation, step back over Curry, bang, uh, or step side rather, over Curry, bang by Kyrie. In this scenario, you have a situation where neither team had scored for about a minute and a half, two minutes. And it looked like they weren't going to continue to score. And then LeBron catches it, fires over Steph, swish. And that was the last point scored. So that was another game winner. Chalk it up for LeBron James. Uh, the game lived up to all the hype. You got a triple-double from LeBron, 22-10-11. You have Steph Curry hitting his average over the last couple of months, 37 a night. Uh, you had Draymond Green get a questionable call with the non with the flagrant that wasn't called a flagrant uh with the eye pokes to lebron you got random warriors bench players hitting shots like i said one is kind of anderson jordan Poole, um andrew wiggins played well you got andre drummond in you got Andre Drummond out it, it was it was a it was everything that you wanted from this game to happen besides instead of that shock instead of the shot clock being inspiring when lebron hit it the play the game clock probably would one thing have been better is if he hits it with no time on the game clock. Uh, that would have been better. But other than that, absolutely amazing game. It lived to the hype. Um, we would not have gotten that game without a playing tournament. So I know LeBron said he wanted whoever came up with the playing tournament fired. Um, no, that was absolutely, like I said, amazing to see those games go at. Those two legends, those, those are living, walking statues with LeBron and Steph Curry. They, they may be the two greatest somethings, which is Steph Curry is the is definitively the greatest shooter to ever touch a basketball. I've nicknamed him the mobile artillery unit because he can literally be rolling to the right or rolling to the left or backpedaling or coming forward or standing still, and he's firing just as accurately as he was if he were standing still. Uh, and then you got LeBron James, first and second greatest player of all time. I have him first personally. Uh, he's definitely the most, he's definitely the best in terms of total basketball ability of all time. And they went at each other for the right for the seventh seed, uh, both due to injury. If Clay had, if Steph had Clay, they'd probably be a top five seed. If the Lakers never get hurt, they're probably a top three seed. So it was absolutely amazing to see that what may be one of the last times that Steph and LeBron played each other, played in any meaningful game, not just a regular season game, but a game that actually is for something after getting in for five straight years in the NBA Finals. But we're going to take a shift, actually. Before we before we even go to break, I'm a little early. Before we go to break, uh, we got to talk about the last playing game, which happens tonight. Uh, speaking of Golden State, they get Memphis. 
Um, now, Memphis, like I said, uh, held off a San Antonio team thanks to Giannis Valanciunas. Golden State's not a good matchup. Now, Golden State did just beat Memphis uh, for the right to even get the eighth seed by playing off John Morant, by daring John Morant to beat them from the outside. Morant couldn't. Uh, San Antonio tried to employ a similar strategy. Morant did knock down a couple of more than he did against Golden State. But I'm sure Golden State's going to do it again. Uh, pack the paint. Try to force John Morant to beat them from the outside. Try to turn the point guard battle into Ja and Steph bombing away on threes instead of giving John Morant the ability to get to the rim where he is a lot more dangerous than he is from the outside. Uh, but they were guarding him after all of a few days ago. Like he was Zion. But he was no threat from the three-point line. And they just let him fire. He kept firing. He kept missing. And the Warriors gladly let him do it. Um, so I wonder, if, I, I'm, I'm sure they're going to employ a similar strategy in this game, especially seeing how Jonas Valanciunas went for 23 rebounds. Festus Azili was able to slow down Drummond a little bit. I don't know how he stops a motivated Valanciunas. Um, so that'll be very interesting to watch. I'm going to pick Golden State by six. Uh, I think Curry goes for 45 tonight. He's going to need to, uh, especially because I believe Valanciunas have another big game. I don't see 23-23, but I do see another big game. Um, just one more comment on the playing tournament. This is an absolute rousing success. Please keep this in the NBA, even if it's nothing more than one game, 8-9. You know, it's just something where there is kind of like a wild card thing in baseball, where there is an opportunity to play your way in. You know, um, I say don't do – if you do the full 82 game season – don't make a team play 84, I guess. Uh, maybe do 8-9, especially they have the same record. Do I set all those weird tiebreakers? Get on the floor and break the tie. You know, don't don't have two teams at 42 and 40, and one gets in because of a strength of schedule tiebreaker, some weird stuff like, you know, it's uncontrollable. Uh, let them get on the court. Same record. You're okay, you're about the same. Let them get on the court and prove it. Um, let them get on the court and play each other. Winner gets to 8C. Something similar to that. They just have some semblance of this, but it is an amazing idea. The playing tournament is a great idea. Okay, we are going to take that little break now, and then we're going to come right back into the NBA and talk about uh, what's going down in the first round of the NBA playoffs. All righty, guys, and we are back. And like I said, we're going to stick with the association and look at these playoff matchups. So out east, you know, usually we start with the, well, usually we started with the association over the past, uh, I don't know, a few months. We would look at the standings first. Well, obviously, there's no more standings. Standings are what they are. The only seed left to be decided in the playoffs is Golden State Memphis, where again, which gets decided tonight. But we will take a look at the playoff matchups starting with the east so obviously our east we have 1v8 philadelphia versus the washington wizards we have the um, brooklyn nets versus the boston celtics we have the milwaukee bucks versus the miami heat and we have the new york knicks versus the atlanta hawks in the 4-5 i am looking at a 4-0 Philadelphia over Washington. Okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm going to give respect to Bradley Bill and Russell Westbrook and say 4-1. Uh, so, officially, I'm going to go on the docket here and say 4-1 uh, Philly over Washington. 4-0 Brooklyn over Boston. 
Uh, Tatum's by himself, and he went for 50 and beat the Washington Wizards. Unfortunately for him, uh, the Brooklyn Nets are considerably better at basically every position than the Washington Wizards. And Milwaukee versus Miami. I have Milwaukee winning in a tough seven. That is going to be the playoff series where it's going to be game seven, five minutes left, tie game, about 92. And somebody's going to be the best player on the floor, whether it's Giannis, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. Somebody's going to be the best player on the floor. I'm going to lean in that situation to Giannis uh, being the best player as he is the reigning two-time MVP. Um Although his reign is almost over, but he he would be a reigning he's a reigning two time MVP, um, and I would go with Giannis scoring the last four or five points for the Bucks and having the Bucks sneak by uh, the Miami Heat in seven and Atlanta versus the New York Knicks. I have the Knicks winning Game Seven in the Garden um, over the Knicks as well. Another hard fought series in which they uh, they will play the Sixers. Um, in the second round, but I would have the Hawks winning that series also in seven. Again, five minutes left, 88-88. Um, who's going to be the best player on the floor? Trey Young and Julius Randle. I think because of the ability to shoot threes, um, Julius Randle, not Julius Randle, Trey Young can stretch the defense a little further than Julius Randle can. Uh, the Hawks have more offensive pieces than uh, the New York Knicks. Um you know, the Knicks really second best dependable score right now is Derrick Rose. Love him, but that hasn't been a, a nice thing to say in the past eight years. Uh, I have the Atlanta Hawks winning. They just, again, Lou will be on the floor at this point of the game. Bogdanovich should be on the floor at this point of the game. Trey's on the floor. Um, you've got John Collins and Clint Capella. And that's better than what the Knicks can roll out um, in that scenario with R.J. Barry, Derrick Rose, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. I'm not even sure they're fifth person would be on the floor uh, in a pinnable situation. So I would go with the Hawks there to advance. So that would set up a second round with Philly versus the Hawks and Brooklyn versus Milwaukee. Uh, we'll dive into second round matchups when they come. I don't want to predict too far early. Um, if I had to pick an NBA, you know what? Screw it. Why not? Let's, let's just dive into this. Let's just get a full, full on record here. Um, so again, that would set up Philly versus Atlanta with Philly having home court and then Brooklyn versus Milwaukee with Brooklyn having home court. Philly versus Atlanta, 4-1 Philly beats Atlanta. Not there's 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 no answer for Joel Embiid on the on the Hawks. Uh Ben Simmons probably gets Trey Young a lot. Uh, ben Simmons is my pick for defensive player of the year. And I think he bothers the living hell out of Trey Young, especially in that pick and roll. You can't really pick Ben off. They also have Tobias Harris who can make uh, switches on there. Um, Matisse Thibault would be in Trey Young's lap all night. Uh, so, yeah, I'd have Philly winning 4-1. And then Brooklyn-Milwaukee is – that's that's a hard one. That's a hard one because Giannis is averaging something like 40-15-7 <laughs> or something like that in the three games he's played versus um, Brooklyn this season. Brooklyn has no answer for Giannis. They can't even build the wall properly because the initial point man can't bother the ball. So how the ball, how the wall was built with Toronto and Miami, they had Kawhi on Giannis and they had Jimmy Butler on Giannis. Now they weren't going solo. They were quote like I said building the wall. How they were doing it and putting those two guys on him was they let those two guys be aggressive on the ball. They let them reach the ball, poke at the ball. Trying to get the ball out of Giannis's hands, 
Because if you made, if you could, if you let him dribble drive straight, he's gonna go over the wall and lay it up anyway. But they were bothering him to where he couldn't just go straight. He was having to do little moves, and he was slow his momentum down. He couldn't go straight up over the wall. So that's how they were bothering him with Jimmy Butler and Kawhi. Brooklyn has nobody to bother the ball. Blake Griffin can't bother the ball. DeAndre Jordan can't bother the ball. I mean, and those two you'd want to put in the wall anyway. And so if you don't have those two, Kevin Durant's going to bother the ball? Not really. You need him on offense. So if Giannis is beating him the hell or getting him in foul trouble, you can't have him on offense anymore. Harden's not going to bother the ball. I mean, he might do a little bit in the post, but if Giannis is coming straight at him, Harden's not going to take the foul. And Kyrie's too small. So there's nobody to effectively bother the ball for Giannis to slow him down to even get to the wall being effective. Now... In Brooklyn's defense, we can score 130. I mean, if you're Brooklyn, you can say, well, we can get to 130. So if you can get to 130 every game, you got a shot. But with KD, Harden, Kyrie, Blake Griffin, Joe Harris is one of the top three-point shooters in the league. Um, you'll be a flashback in the past with Green. You know, they can, like I said, they can get to 130. Bruce Brown was going well at one point. Claxton come off the bench and get you a few dunks. Um, you got three guys and KD Harden and Kyrie can go get 30 by themselves. So again, if if you can get to 130 every night in Milwaukee, you've got a legitimate shot. Um, which I think they won't have to. I think Milwaukee's defense with Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis, uh just name a few of their pieces, Bobby Portis, um will be something to behold. It's gonna go seven. Um putting I've got Milwaukee. I've got Milwaukee in seven. I don't think Brooklyn gets past Milwaukee. I've got Milwaukee in seven. I got Milwaukee surviving two seven-game series, which is Denver did it last year, but it's very uncommon. Denver went seven with Utah, and then turned around and went seven with the Clippers. Uh, it's very uncommon for you to go seven back to back and survive. But I've got Milwaukee beating Miami in seven, and Milwaukee beating Brooklyn in seven. Uh, Philly four-one and four-one. So then that would set up Milwaukee, Philly, and then fatigue on Milwaukee side. I have Philly advance to the NBA Finals, uh, probably in six or seven. Uh, Hell, feature the fire. I guess I'd go six. Uh, Philly gets to the NBA Finals. I just don't see Milwaukee pushing it to another seven-game series. Uh, they they now Philly does have the ability to build the wall. So because they can put Ben Simmons on the ball, Ben Simmons can bother the hell out of the ball. Being similar size of Giannis, and like I said, possible. Well, he's my defensive player of the year candidate, and he would bother the holy hell out of Giannis. And then they can still build the wall with Tobias Harris, with Joel Embiid. Matisse Stiebel can bother the ball as well. And so I have Philly winning that in six, uh, having Philly represent the East in the NBA Finals. And then out west. We have Utah in the first round. We have Utah versus Golden State. I'm gonna project. I'm gonna project Golden State getting to the uh, playoffs over Memphis. So Utah over Golden State. Uh, Utah against Golden State rather. Phoenix against the Lakers. Denver against Portland. Clippers against Dallas. Uh, starting off with Utah and Golden State, I would have Utah winning that series in f- six. Uh, I think you know one bad shooting night from Utah. And then one crazy night from Steph gets Golden State two games. So I have Utah winning that in six. Uh, Lakers versus Phoenix. I have Lakers in six. The Lakers, Phoenix were trying to get the number one seed. And without LeBron, without Schroeder, the Lakers hand, handled them because AD lost his mind. Because DeAndre Ayton 
doesn't have the defensive IQ that Draymond has. Nobody on, nobody on the Suns has it, um, besides Chris Paul, but you're not going to put Chris Paul on Anthony Davis. Uh, Jay Crowder can try, but he'd probably be on LeBron. And so, you know, that, I think Lakers in six. Um, Chris Paul is great, not a major stat guy. That'll be Schroeder's or Caruso responsibility. D-Book could be probably Wesley Matthews, KCP, Caruso. Um, and then Aiden is their other big-time defender, and you got Drummond, who's not going to leave the paint because of Aiden now, and AD will be in the area. So, I actually, I have Lakers in six. Denver, Portland, I have Denver in seven. Uh, Dame is going to lose his mind because nobody can guard him. At the same time, Michael Porter Jr. is unguardable by anybody on the Portland Trailblazers. Nikola Jokic is unguardable by anybody in the game of basketball today. Um... So with that being said, I have Denver in seven. Uh, MVP Jokic gets to the second round. And then the Clippers versus Dallas. I have the Clippers in six or seven, depending on um, Kirstas Porzingis' health. There's no answer for Kirstas Porzingis on the Clippers. But if he's not healthy, then they don't have a shot. Similar to last year, I had Dallas winning. After game three, I had Dallas winning the series. Uh, but then KP gets hurt, and so that went downhill from there. But I would have the Clippers winning this series in six or seven, depending on KP's health. I'm going to go on officially on the record, though, and say Clippers in six. So that would set up Utah Clippers and then Lakers Denver. I would have Utah beating the Clippers um, in seven. It won't be a 3-1 lead blow. Like it would be, but I'm looking at the Clippers, how they play. Rudy Gobert would be very advantageous in this series for the Clippers. So, uh, for the Jazz, rather. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, that'll depend on Donovan Mitchell's health. They only have one real score, but they can shoot. The Clippers are really good against defending the three, but I just think that Utah would win it in seven. Um, sitting the Clippers home early again. It would not, would it shock me if Clippers in seven? No. Uh, but I'm going to officially go on the record and say Utah in seven. And then that would set up Lakers-Denver. I would have the Lakers in five or six. Um, that would, again, I mean, all this is contingent on health. Uh, but I would have the Lakers in five or six. There's no answer for Jokic. But Michael Porter Jr. is not going to guard anybody. I haven't really looked at Aaron Gordon as his world-class defender. I don't even know who else is on Denver's roster. So I, I would have... Um, Lakers in five or six, probably official on the record. Let's go six, which would set up Lakers in Utah, and I would have the Lakers in a hard six. So it'll be it'll it'll officially reflect four or two, but it'll be hard for two because the Utah Jazz can rain threes. It would it shock me if it goes seven? Hell, would it shock me if Utah won? Uh, no. But I would have Utah in a I would have Lakers rather in a hard seven. Um, or hard six rather. Uh, like I said, it would shock me if it goes seven, because how I look at playoff series, how many ways can you beat somebody, uh, and that's saying how many games you can get. So, for instance, uh, looking at Lakers Utah, Utah can beat you one game. The Lakers can't throw a brick in the ocean. That's one. The second game, uh, Utah lose their mind from three. That's two. And then the third game, uh, Mitch goes insane. So there's a good chance two of those three things happen. There's a good chance three of those three things happen. Uh, there's a chance three of those things to happen, which gives him three games. For the Lakers, LeBron can lose his mind. That's a game. 
The shooting can lose their mind. That's a game. Utah has a bad shooting night. That's a game. And then the stars for the Lakers, Shorter AD and LeBron, have a great game and outplay the duo of Mitch and Gobert. That's the fourth game, which is why I'm saying I, I would say that's a better chance of those four things happening, which is why I would lean Lakers there in six or seven. Officially, though, we're going to go six. And that would set up Philadelphia and the Lakers, which I... Uh, screw it, let's gotta predict that. I would have the Lakers win that game, winning that series in six. So I would have the Lakers going five, six, 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 and I would have the uh, Philadelphia 76ers going five, five, seven, five, 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 seven, six, and losing in six in the finals. Um, no answer for Embiid, agreed. He, he's gonna eat Drummond alive, but. The rest of the roster wouldn't be able. For instance, okay, so let's, let's do how I break down series. For the Sixers, Embiid goes crazy. That's a game. The shooters smack everything. That's a game. Tobias Harris flash has one that just has a massive, just one of those nights. That's a game. So then you'd either depend on Embiid getting another great night or Ben Simmons having a game. One of those 18, 13, 14 triple doubles where he's kicking everybody. And it's the Ben Simmons Memorial game, and that's how they get a game. So that, so that that would be the game you would be depending on. Go to the Lakers, same situation. The defense locks up. That's a game. AD and LeBron go crazy. That's a game. The shooters hit everything. That's a game. And LeBron realizes the NBA Finals. It's my time to shine. That's a game. And that's not even saying the big three don't have a game. You know, Schroeder, AD, and LeBron don't have a game with themselves. That's a fifth game if they, you know, if they went that far. Um... So, as I said, I would have the Lakers in six. There's much more ways for the Lakers to win than the Sixers to win the game in a playoff series. Now, one game for your life? I don't know. But I say if it gets to a game seven, throw your hands up. Who knows? Um, but I think the Lakers would win it in six, uh, crowning the Lakers back-to-back champions. They would be the lowest seed to ever win a championship. Obviously, they'd win the most games ever because they'd win 17 games to, make, to, win, to win a championship, having won the play-in game. Uh, we would give LeBron his fifth title, his fifth Finals MVP, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but again, none of that matters at the moment. Uh, my official pick is Lakers over Sixers in six for the NBA championship, uh, garnering the Sixers just one step closer to achieving their ultimate goal and completing the process. Of winning a title under the Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris um, era of the Sixers. And now we're going to shift to my all NBA teams. So last week we talked about my awards, uh, MVP, Jokic, Coach of the Year. I'm actually going to go with um, Monty Williams now. He, he won Coach of the Year for the Coaches Association. So I'm kind of cheating a little bit. Um, but I would go with Monty Williams, Coach of the Year. Uh, Rookie of the Year, LaMelo Ball. Uh, Most Improved, Julius Randle. Defensive Player of the Year, Ben Simmons. Uh, Sixth Man of the Year, Jordan Clarkson. Okay, so now uh, we've gotten that done. So now we can move into the All-NBA teams. Um, I did a a little research on this, how the positions were done. So I don't think it's going to be the predictions because I don't think people are going to do it this way. They're going to try to do traditional positions. I've seen several uh, several ballots, and it was very traditional. Um, so they didn't do how I'm doing it, but I'm going to do it to try to get the best 15 players this season in. Um, so on first team, a guard, I have Stefan Luca. That was pretty easy for me. 
Um, at forward, I have Giannis and Embiid. Now that like, you, know, you heard Embiid, and you think in your head Embiid's a center, but for the All NBA distinctions, he's a forward center. Same thing as Jokic. So I, I either one, whatever one you want to do it. But I would have Embiid at forward, Jokic at center, because Jokic is the MVP. So I gave him the nod at his traditional position. And so just to clarify it again, it is Steph, Luka, Giannis, Embiid, and Jokic. Um, for second team All-NBA, at guard I have Harden, Dame. Uh, Dame would be first team if it wasn't for uh, the Embiid pick because I can just move Luka to forward and then Dame goes to the guard spot. So uh, Dame is second team All-NBA along with Harden. Uh, Kawhi at small forward. I have Julius Randle at the other forward and Rudy Gobert at center for my second team. So just to repeat that, Harden, Dame, Kawhi, Randle, Gobert. And for my third team, my guards are Chris Paul and Kyrie Irving. Uh, sorry, Devin Booker. Uh, sorry, Zach Levine. Sorry, Bradley Bill. Sorry, Russell Westbrook. I would have Chris Paul and Kyrie Irving. At forward, I'm going to do a little editing from what I had on my list. So on my list, I had Tatum and Paul George. I'm going to pull both of them out, and I'm going to go with LeBron and Zion as my forwards on my third team. So that would be LeBron. So that would be Chris Paul, Kyrie Irving, LeBron, Zion, and Clint Capella as my third team center. Now that now my debatable spot in my opinion is LeBron getting his record, whatever All NBA selection, and the only, and the person I will slide into that spot would be Tatum, um, being as though that he was one manning for a good part of the year for Boston. Uh, Paul George missed a few games, Tatum, whatever. So I think that's the debatable spot, LeBron. But I think I would lean LeBron when he left. The team fell apart. I mean, they were surviving with Anthony Davis. He leaves, and it's the, I mean the Lakers go to the tank. Um, so I would have LeBron and then Zion, his team didn't make the play in, but you can't ignore what he did. Uh, 26, 27 points a game, 61.5% shooting first play in NBA history to ever do those numbers. Um, so I, you cannot ignore that for the team. And then Clint Capella, uh, who should have DPOY nods and votes. Uh, I'm kind of upset he doesn't, he better be fourth. Um, behind Gobert, Draymond, Simmons, and then Capella. Um, the Hawks are a different team with him on the floor than off of it, so I would have him as third team All-NBA. Uh, just to repeat that third team one more time, that would be Chris Paul, Kyrie Irving, LeBron, Zion, and Clint Capella. Uh, but now we're going to shift to the NFL and talk about what's going down with the Shield. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. And now we're going to talk about the NFL. I mean, they find ways to provide us with stories, even when they're not in season. You got to love this place. It is absolutely amazing. So currently, there are, you know, the, and, you know they check periodically. What are the highest selling items on NFL.com? What's the highest selling items on NFLShop.com, Fanatics, whatever? The current top five for for highest selling items on those sites are Tim Tebow related. Yes, Tim Tebow has officially been signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
and it took all of a few minutes for the uh, Jaguars to put up Tebow 85 jerseys and they're selling out like hotcakes on a Sunday morning from McDonald's. They, um, Tebow's back. Look, I liked it from a locker room standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, from a morale standpoint, sure. But from a football standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Here's what you hear. Well, why do you say that, Justin? I mean, Tebow was an NFL player before. Yeah. So? It ain't like he come back to play quarterback, which he wasn't that good at the first time. He's coming back to play a position he hasn't played since his freshman year of high school. Doesn't that sound familiar? He wouldn't play baseball after an 8, 9, 10-year layoff because he hadn't played that since his junior year in high school. He switched schools, went to play quarterback. He went switch schools in high school and wouldn't play quarterback. He stopped playing baseball his junior year in high school to focus on being a quarterback. Oh, update. He, he wasn't great at quarterback in, in, in the NFL. His completion percentage is 47 for a career. His passer rating is in the 70s. Uh, remember that magical win streak he went on? Oh, man. It was, it was spectacular. It was amazing. They won like six of nine late. And, da, 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 and they were. Matt Prater was nailing 57 yard field goals for the win. And they beat the Jets. And they won a playoff game. It was amazing. And, and he had five of those six wins. He completed less than 10 passes. One of them, he completed two passes and won the game. They led the league in rushing by a mile. They were running a ton of read option, RPO, stuff like that. They were making sure he didn't have to throw the ball much at all. And they kept winning. The defense was inspired, it seemed. They were winning. Matt Prater couldn't miss late. Uh, like I said, they were just absolutely running the ball down your throat, playing great defense. Tim would throw a timely pass or two, but they were keeping it very, very limited, very, very simple, uh, not trusting Tim at all. Uh, for the most part, to play quarterback, and he left. You know, uh, he won a playoff game versus Steelers. Paid, well, of course, you know the rest of the story. Paid man, he comes to Denver. They re- they release Tebow or trade him, release him actually. Um, he goes to the Jets, doesn't beat out Mark Sanchez, uh, then spends a hot cup of coffee worth of time uh, on the Patriots and the Eagles during the preseason. And didn't make either roster. Um, New England tried to do this with him. They tried to make him like an H back or something. It didn't work. And so he's out of the league, went to baseball, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Makes the double-A minor league team. Reportedly was a few months probably away from making a major league team. Uh, Now the next GM has come out and said, no, that was mostly just to sell tickets for the minor league squad to jump up interest when he came to town. And then he comes back to football. You know, it's one thing. It's one thing if he was coming back to play quarterback. Okay, you weren't good that the first time. But, you know, you played it. Logically, it makes sense. Hey, you know, let me see if I can get back in the NFL thing. My college coach who made me a first-round pick, who I helped win two championships, he helped me win a Heisman, etc. He is there. Maybe I can get, you know, still a third quarterback spot to sit there and be NFL quarterback again behind Trevor Lawrence, teach the kid the system, you know, teach him how we do things in the Urban Myers world, etc., 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 you know, all these things were, let's say, a possibility if he was a quarterback. He's a he's a tight end. Wait, he, 
he's 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 gonna catch passes and not attempt to throw them. Well, that's interesting. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, he 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 hadn't played tight end since he was a freshman in high school. At his first high school, he's he's gonna play tight end in the NFL. Um, so I mean, thank God for connections. Thank God for the good old boys club that seems to never be undefeated in the world of sports. Uh, more power to him. I don't think he makes the roster, so I'm kind of feel bad for all these fans who are buying his jersey. That I hope he put it in a glass case or get him to sign it because you may never see it on the field past preseason week two, uh, which is all we have now. You may never see it again. Um, so I hope that you put it in a frame, get him to sign it, sell it on eBay in a few years for a couple hundred grand, hopefully, because um, I don't think he makes the roster. Even if he does, I don't, I don't know how impactful he is. If I was a betting man, I would definitely put a hundred dollars on catching a touchdown pass. That is something I would do. If I if I was a betting man, I would do that in a heartbeat. Put a hundred dollars on receiver uh, catching a pass. It's something like uh, plus. It, it's a very high on Fox Bet and FanDuel and something like, and other things like that. Uh, I would definitely put a hundred dollars on catching a touchdown pass. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know how it works on the football field. He wasn't good at the first position. He wasn't all that great at baseball. I ain't gonna try a new position. So we'll we'll see. Um, I, I hope it works out for whatever purpose that Urban Meyer is looking for Tebow to do. Uh, I hope it's not to be his starting tight end, but I, it could be something in the H back role, a jet sweep kind of role, goal line. Lawrence comes out similar to what they do with Bree, similar to what they did with Bree and Taysom Hill. Third and one, Lawrence comes out, Tebow comes in. Uh, to basically run the Wildcat and run his head to a wall. Um, that sort of thing, maybe it works out well, but we're, we're going to definitely see uh, Tebow with Jacksonville. We'll, we'll, we're going to see him. He's going to make the team through preseason week one. He's going to be on an NFL team. He's going to be on Jacksonville preseason week one. I can almost guarantee it. Urban Meyer is going to make him be on the team into a preseason week one to get him in front of the fans so they're going to have a crazy amount of people at the uh, preseason game. I can practically see the darn near sellout now. Uh, they're going to have a crazy amount of people there. Media is going to be everywhere. Oh, Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, all in one area. Um, it's going to be absolutely massive. Now, will he make it past week one? I don't know because he plays bad in the game and like not like play bad like, oh, he went the wrong way on a route. Okay, that's preseason, preseason four. It, it's going to be like, oh, some cornerback blew him up when he was supposed to block him. Or he drops, he was targeted four times and dropped three of them. Something, you know, like plays bad. Like, oh, no, Urban Meyer, you did this for your homie. Not because he could help you kind of thing. Then he might not make it to week two. But if he plays halfway decent in week one, he's definitely going to make it to week two. It would be hard for you to convince the team in the locker room that he's worth um, – He's worth anything more than a practice squad spot kind of thing. But it'll be interesting to see if he makes the 53-man. I don't think he makes the 53-man roster. I don't know how many times he dressed out during the season. It's worth the bet on Fox Bet that he cuts the touchdown pass. But I wouldn't pursue it any further than that. I wished him the best. I just don't think it's going to work. I loved him on ESPN. He was talking about the SEC. 
but he was getting hype behind Florida, giving motivational speeches, which I'm sure will be his role in the locker room. Give a speech, give a chat, try to get guys hype, uh, that sort of thing. But I don't know how much from a football standpoint it's going to work. But shifting gears a little bit, uh, big news on a guy who actually matters on the field. Julio Jones is officially on the market per several reports. Uh, we were not on it. Um, kind of how I missed that scoop, but uh, I found out and missed it. it a lot was happening. Uh, but we we missed it, so just in time sports a little late on it. But um, Julio Jones is officially on the market. Now, we heard this could happen two years ago, and then they paid him that massive extension where he got three years, $66 million with 64 of it guaranteed. Um, but so the cap hit was, my God, it was beyond impunitive. It was beyond punitive for the um, Atlanta Hawks to move him prior to last season. Now, that beautiful June 1st trade can happen. So on the books, it would be for $20 million of a cap hit. But if you trade up after June 1st, it's 10 this year and 10 next year. You can split the cap hits. So even though they could agree on a trade, um, even though they can agree on the trade prior to June 1st, they won't actually make it until June 1st. So you see guys get cut from the team in like April, but they say they use the post June 1st designation, meaning like, oh, he's our post June 1st cut. So we can't use anybody else's ability to split the cap, but him. Um, so, so, but trades don't work that way because once you trade it, you're officially on the roster. So you can't really move the money around how they can with a, with a release. Um, so he'll have to get traded after June 1st, but they could agree to it between now and June 1st and just don't file the paperwork with the league, uh, prior to June 1st. But there's so several teams that have been linked to him already. Obviously Green Bay, for obvious reasons, they need a second receiver. Uh, New England needs a star receiver. They have a, they have a guys, New England's weaponry doesn't look that great on the outside because Nelson Aguilar is your one. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, I think, is your two. Um, you got Jacoby Myers, who's your two or your three. Now, if you put Julio at the one and you make Nelson Aguilar your two and now Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, your three or your four, now you've got weaponry plus Jonu Smith plus Hunter Henry. Now you've got elite level weaponry. Um, you know, you've got top 10 weaponry in the league. For Cam Newton next season, if if Julio Jones finds himself in a Patriots uniform, uh, you've got several other teams linked to him as well. I think Green Bay and New England are the most interesting. Uh, Tennessee was also linked to him as well. Again, their weaponry doesn't look that great, but if you turn AJ Brown into your two and Julio Jones into your one, now you may have the best one-two punch in the league um, in terms of wide receivers. You're up there with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You know, um, so that is definitely something to keep your eye on with Julio Jones going to the market. I think he's going to command at least a one. If I'm Atlanta, I'm looking for a one and a three or a one and a four and a starter uh, because you're going to need something to help on defensive end. So I would look for a first round pick either this year or next year, um, a third round pick in whatever year you don't give me. So if you give me a first next year, if you give me a first in 2023, I want a third in 2022's draft. Um, plus a starter. If the first is in 2022, you don't have to give me the starter. I'll take the third. In tw- I'll take the third in 2023. If you make the third in 2023 fourth, 
I'm gonna need a starter. So I mean, so there's a few packages. So basically, a first round pick, a mid round pick, and a starter would be the um, ideal package for Julio Jones from Atlanta. Uh, I, I wouldn't be trying to get two, three firsts. He's, he's up there in age. He's had a hand injury concern. So I would go with uh, first a mid-round pick and a defensive starter would be the asking price I would be looking for if I'm um, the Atlanta Falcons. Julian Edelman was linked. And of course, he retired from the Patriots. And of course, immediately, what happens? Oh, he's going to go to Tampa to play with Tom. He's going to go to Tampa to play with Tom. Uh, Julian Edelman, for the third or fourth time on podcast, is being asked. He's, he's starting to sound annoyed now. Um, he was on Michael Irvin's show recently, and he in definitively refuted that, saying he's a one-team guy. He said even if he wanted to go, he probably couldn't. He, said he probably couldn't pass the physical. Uh, he said his knees are gone. Uh, he did everything he wanted to do. You know, he got three Super Bowl championships, played for one of the greatest dynasties, or played for the greatest dynasties, played with one of the, with the greatest quarterback, played with one of the greatest coaches, um, and he did everything he wanted to do. He's a one-team guy, and again, he refuted uh, the possibility of joining Tom in Tampa. Even if he wanted to go to Tampa, like you said, he probably couldn't pass the physical, but let's say he passed the physical. Where was he going to play? I mean, that's just, I mean, I'm a New England fan. I've watched Edelman very closely over the past few um, past few years, especially the past couple of years. And where was he going to play? He ain't playing one, Mike Evans. He's not the number two receiver, Chris Godwin. He ain't playing the slot, Antonio Brown. He ain't being a backup outside guy, Skylar Miller. And I would take that guy, uh, I think his name is Tyler Johnson, over him as well. Where would Edelman even play? I mean, he'd be like the sixth or seventh receiver on the active roster, and he might catch one pass every three games because Brady's nice. And he would throw him on the field with four minutes left in the game, throw him a little slant or something like that. He wouldn't even play. So there we are in a situation for Julian Edelman to properly succeed in. Um, if he were to attempt to go to Tampa Bay, uh, if he were to go, you know, to somewhere like I said, like Tampa, he wouldn't be able to produce there. Plus, like I said, he, like he said, he probably wouldn't be able to pass the physical. Uh, just some a little bit of prediction time. I'm always into predictions. I believe a sign of a guy who knows his sports, a sign of a guy or a gal who knows, who, who believes in what they believe in. Anybody can tell you a recap. Everything I've told you for the most part in this show, you can go to any show and find out. What you're here for for me is predictions and deeper insight than just the basic yelling back and forth to see on the TV because I'm here to give facts, uh, a little bit of opinion, but a lot of facts and some predictions. So NFL prediction time. Two things that are always popular at the beginning of the season. Who goes from worst to first and who is the MVP candidates? So I'm going to start off with worst for first. Um, so I, I have... Or big jumps, double your wins. Not not necessarily worse for first, but double your win candidates, big jumps, surprise teams. Again, those are always popular regardless of sport. And so we're going to talk about a couple of teams that I'm either picking to worst to first or double their wins make a massive jump. The number one team I'm going to talk about is the team I'm sure caught a lot of you guys' eyes, a lot of you guys' ears when I made my standings predictions. And that is the Cincinnati Bengals winning 10 games. Now, they were on pace to win seven or six or seven last year prior to Joe Burrow's injury. 
Now you add him a legitimate one receiver in Jamar Chase through the draft. Jamar, yes, Jamar Chase is the one receiver on that team. Sorry, T. Higgins or whoever else wants to, you know, say they're the number one. They're not. It's Jamar Chase. You picked up a couple of offensive linemen in the offseason to help fix that out. Now you pass on Panay Sewell. You pass on Rashawn Slater. But you wanted, you needed a legitimate one receiver and a guy that was comfortable with Joe Burrow. Jamar Chase has never caught a pass in a game past high school from anybody not named Joe Burrow. And the way it's looking, he will never catch a pass past high school in a game from anybody not named Joe Burrow. Uh, so you got a guy comfortable with Joe Burrow, very comfortable with him. Um, and then then you, you give Joe a weapon he's comfortable with. You still got T. Higgins. You still got Joe Mixon. Your offense line is getting better. You had a good center last year. You had a good left tackle last year. You know, you picked up a guard. You picked up a tackle. So, you you know, you're trying to fix the issues in Cincinnati. I have them getting 10 wins. You sign a couple of smart defensive players. I have them with 10 wins. Um, the Carolina Panthers, I don't have them. Again, they're not a worst the first, but I believe they're a double, double your win team. The Saints are coming back down to earth. They don't have Drew Brees. Either Jameis or Taysom Hill would be the quarterback, and they had to get rid of some talent due to cap issues. So they're going to come back down to earth a little bit. Tampa's going to roll, but Atlanta's going to not be that great again, especially if they get rid of Julio. Um, now, Julio didn't play a lot last year, but it is hard to, um, you know, it, it, I don't see Atlanta being that great. Now, the offense will be found to Arthur Smith, but I'm not sure they're going to do the defensive end. And so I don't have Atlanta being that great. And I have Carolina benefiting from the fourth place schedule and doubling their wins. They, they're going to go from four or five to somewhere around eight or nine. Uh, they're going to be a massive jump up. And I have the Arizona Cardinals going from worse. They, they, they are my dark, dark horse worst to first candidate. Um, I repeat, that is the Arizona Cardinals. Now, they, 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 they're not going to double their wins because they won seven games last year. They're not going to go to 14. But I have them going with a dark horse, dark horse worse to first. Um, due to the fact that they lost a couple of games in division very, very closely, they're going to also benefit from the fourth place schedule. On my official predictions, they finish in fourth and they sneak in the playoffs because all four of the teams in my prediction gets in. Um, but I have them... Uh, as a dark horse, you know, worse to first. It, it wouldn't shock me if they flipped a couple of those games in my head. They lost by three to wins by three, and they go from eight or nine wins to 11 and 12, or 12 wins due to winning a couple of close ball games with Kyler being in year three, uh, Cliff Kingsbury also being in, league, in year three, passing up the defense a little bit. You know, I, it, it wouldn't shock me if they were to go a little bit higher. And my dark horse team to double their wins would be the New England Patriots. Uh, the Patriots won seven games last year. Now, there's no way in God's green earth they're getting to 14, but could they get to 12? I feel like 12 is close enough. It's 40, that's a 43% improvement. If my math uh, off the top of my head was correct, something like that, a 40% improvement. Uh, so it's not quite, you know, worse to first or double your wins, but that is my team to also make a massive jump with the New England Patriots, we spoke about their improved weapons a few minutes ago. Uh, especially if they go out and add a Julio. They may actually get to 14 um, and completely double their wins. But um, that is something that I would definitely be looking out for there. So, like I said, I have New England making a massive jump. I have uh, Cincinnati doubling their wins, making a massive jump. I have Arizona as a dark horse. Uh, worst to first. 
And I cannot think of another team at the moment right now that I have making a massive jump as well. But now we're going to go to the MVP candidates. So I'm going to list my top five in no particular order. I'm going to go Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, regardless of what team he's on. So if he's in Denver, if he's in Green Bay, I got Aaron Rodgers. I have Justin Herbert. Uh, Aaron Rodgers broke up the streak of the second year quarterbacks winning it. it was, they were sort of doing it like the uh, juniors winning the Heisman. Where he's like every year, junior won a Heisman, junior won a Heisman, then Joe Burrow broke it up. Um, even though who won a Heisman? Actually, Devontae Smith, another senior. Um, so Joe Burrow broke that party up. Maybe it continues with a longer year vets, but Herbert is in there. Kyler Murray is in there. And lastly, but certainly not least, my dark horse, my official dark horse is Jameis Winston uh, for the New Orleans Saints because he, you know, he's a stat machine. He can put up a lot of stats. He's going to throw the ball down the field with Sean Payton's offense. And so I would have Jameis Winston as my dark horse MVP candidate. But up next, we're going to shift to the WNBA and talk about what's going down in the W. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back in. And we're just gonna jump right into the WNBA and talk about what's going down there. So I've been Scott clamoring for it last week. I clamored for it before that. Clamored for you for that probably. Re- support the WNBA. Support what's happening in the W. These ladies are really, really good at basketball. Um, I talked about during the women's final four, right after rather, that the only sports to go up. Um, during the pandemic was WNBA and Women's Final Four, and the training continues. The Women's Final Four was up, and WNBA was up 25% opening weekend as opposed to last year's opening weekend. So that is 25% over an already increase from last year. Um, so now that means it's the most watched opening weekend in a decade plus. It was the most watched NBA WNBA draft in the decade only one to beat in the last decade was 10 years ago the jersey sales have been through the roof with the new uniforms the marketing and the social media background has been through the roof as well uh you got companies like google and facebook jumping in for multiple reasons google for the partnership facebook as a marketing along with twitter uh you've got a massive new tv deal you've got uh in comparison to the last one the massive new tv deal you've got a, a brand spanking new cbo to help the players out You've got international players not coming over young. Usually international players wait, you know, because they, they make more money with a less hectic schedule. Um, being just international players, being in Finland, being in Europe, whatever. But now you got uh, players like uh, Kuat that's coming to the um, Dallas Wings. She's 19 years old from Finland. And she's already, she waited, she used, as soon as she was finished her eligibility, uh, her eligibility requirements, she jumped ship and became a WNBA player. So the even the global imprint of the W is now increasing as that generation has never seen a world where the W didn't exist. Um, so massive, you know, kudos to the W. Build it and they will come. As Ramona Shelburne tweeted a few days ago when she, when she broke the news of the 25% increase. Uh, build it and they will come. People will watch the W, put it on TV, uh, the only thing still that cares of that does big numbers on live television is live sports and politics. Politics down since the Trump administration ended. 
but live sports still do a big number uh still is the only thing that is a guaranteed big number on um television side note a little breaking news uh, in terms of tim tebow's contract he signed for one year uh 920k with no guaranteed money in the deal so he'll have to fight for a contract spot uh, there's no guarantee that he'll make the roster like i said in my other segments um but back to the w so absolutely spectacular support from the general fan uh like i said like ramona shelburne said build it and they will come um this is huge for the w they got a big slate of games tonight i will repeat WNBA league pass is 18 dollars Grab your wife, grab your kids, grab your homies. Uh, all y'all buy league pass. <laughs> and then pick a night. You know, you go to his house for one game. You go to the bar for a game, whatever. Um, but find a team. Find a player you like. Find a player to support. Find a team to support. Uh, get into the W. Like I said, league pass is $18. Very, very, very super uber duper affordable. I, I would definitely take a look at that. If I, I mean, I already have league pass. Of course, I got league pass. Um, so you guys... Definitely go out there and support the W. We got some great looking teams. The Chicago Sky look amazing. We thought they would look amazing, and they look absolutely spectacular. Led by Candace Parker, Courtney Vandersloot, um, Allie Quigley, uh, Diamond DeShields, uh, uh, Stephanie Dolson, and the rest of that crew. The Sky look amazing. Uh, they put a hurting on the Mystics, Sans Deladon, a couple other players. They put a nice beat down the mystics who will be, will be pretty good themselves this year once deladon comes back you got deladon tina charles natasha cloud um the mystics are going to be a good team the storm and the aces are as advertised um they are they went to war recently like i said the aces are sans agent angel mccartry but they still got asia wilson rain league mvp they still got chester gray the point god herself um they still have liz cambage an absolute monster in the middle you know, they still got good shooting around those three players. And so the Aces are the Aces. The Storm, the last two times we've seen them healthy, they're hosting the WNBA championship. So that's all I got to say about them. And they brought back Sue Bird. They brought back Brianna Stewart. You know, they brought back Jewel Lloyd. You know, that team is pretty much whole from those last two title teams. And so look at them. And then my surprise team right now is New York Liberty. They were bad last year. Really bad. Uh, last season, uh, Sabrina Anescu was out uh, with injury. She only played like six or seven games, and she was out and out of the wobble. Um, but she becomes the youngest. She becomes the fastest player in WBA history to ever record a triple double. Um, in just her tenth game, she recorded a 23-10-11 triple double. Um, the previous record before her was something like 80 games or something like that, and she did it and by her tenth game. Uh, but she's that's what she does. She holds the most triple. She has the most triple doubles in NCAA history, men and women. She's the only man or, man or woman to ever score 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 1,000 assists in a career. That's what she does. So it's not a shock that she by far and away blew away the triple double of record for get there the fastest. And I expect her to probably finish her career with the most in WNBA history uh, by a wide margin. So the Liberty are. You know, they are my surprise team so far. The Sparks are as bad as I predicted, but hey, uh, that's what happens when you lose Candace Parker. You're not going to be that great. And then the other team that, you know, deserves some mention is the Dallas Wings, and they're not even whole yet. Charlie Collier, as advertised. She got her she got double-double in her first ever game uh, against the Sparks. 
she does advertise and they don't even have their full complement of people yet that's not even talking about the Atlanta dream with Kennedy Carter and their backcourt like, it's, like it, the WNBA has a lot of talent in it has 144 spots in the entire league uh, I'm clamoring for expansion several of the players are clamoring for expansion but there's only 144 spots and the talent level on the eighth and the ninth lady on the bench um, you can see could start if there were four more teams they'd probably be starting one of those four teams or people that's not even in the league um, that can't get a spot right now would be in the league uh, starting or definitely contributing if they had four more teams in the W to make it 16 teams and 196 spots if memory if my math serves me correctly which I don't think it did uh, somewhere around 200 spots um, so that is something that W needs to look into uh, Kathy Engelbert uh, WNBA commissioner said that's on the table not this season maybe next season getting four or five more teams in I mean she could be looking for a, a pop expansion uh, where it's four to eight teams at once instead of two teams this year okay two teams you after that okay, two teams you after that four to eight teams at one time uh, expanding from maybe 12 to 20 in a year uh, which would be huge for the W expanding the calendar making it a 50 game season or even keeping it at maybe a 38 game season play everybody twice no conference playoffs anyway so 38 game season, everybody plays everybody twice, 20 teams, that would be pretty spectacular. Uh, top 12 go in, same as now. So that would be pretty cool for the WNBA to look into. Uh, but again, they are, the support is there. Keep supporting it, grab some merch, grab a jersey. If you're not a big WNBA fan, find a team or even a player you like, you know. In the NBA, we've got LeBron fans, we've got Curry fans, we've got Durant fans, whoever those guys are going to go, they're going to become fans of that team, buy that guy's new merch, etc. Uh, find, you know, find a player. Even if it's a rookie this year, find a Kaiser. Find, you know, uh, Ari Williams. Find a Charlie Collier. Um, you know, find a Didi. Uh, you know, a veteran. Brittany Griner, Diana Taurasi, Candace Parker. Um, if you like Tia Cooper, become a Sparks fan. You know, like, just find somebody to support, find a team to support and support the W. It's good, great basketball. People actually like basketball and not just highlight monsters. But up next, we're going to actually combine best for last and Major League Baseball. Um, so that'll be our next segment. Stick around for that. Alrighty, guys, and welcome into MLB Talk slash Best for Last. Um, so this, so the MLB Talk is gonna be just a peek at the standings, and then Best for Last is gonna be what I was gonna talk about, a reason I brought up MLB anyway. So like I've always said, I'm only gonna talk about MLB. I'm not a big baseball guy. I'm a Yankee fan. I like the Astros, uh, but I'm not a big baseball guy in terms of dig deep into the stats and stuff like that. I, I'm a shift there when baseball playoffs start, uh, but regular season baseball, let's be honest, doesn't do a big number. Uh, so I don't really talk about it much. But I always said I'll bring it up if there's something I really want to talk about, some big point I really want to make um, regarding baseball. And so to take a look at the standings. If the playoffs started today, the top six would be White Sox, Red Sox, Astros, A's, Rays, Yankees. Yes, those Yankees who people wrote off at the beginning of the year saying, oh, this doesn't work anymore. And now at the playoff end of the day, they'd be in the second wild card spot. I wonder how that happened. Or the third wild card spot. I wonder how that happened. And very, very close to the Rays for taking over the second wild card spot. Uh, and then looking at the 
National League, you've got Giants, Cardinals, Mets, Padres, Dodgers, Cubs. Uh, the Dodgers, remember I, along with others, were saying, oh, they could be one of the greatest teams ever. And then about a couple weeks, we kind of realized they have a bullpen problem. So they can't solve that little bullpen problem. They're not going to be nearly as good as we thought they were going to be in a week NL. The NL's win percentages are nothing like the AL's win percentages. Um, in a weaker NL, and they have not figured out that bullpen issue, and they're continuing to slide further and further down in their division. Um, right, now, I think right now they're the third best team, third best record in their own division, and they're just coming down. They recently signed Albert Pujols, and unless Albert Pujols learn how to relief pitch over his illustrious career, that ain't gonna help their problem. Um, but you know, they're gonna have to figure it out with the Dodgers. They're coming down. The Yankees are starting to get their bats back, even though, per usual, uh, Stanton is out with injury uh, at this moment in time. The Red Sox are still rolling. The White Sox have climbed all the way up. The Astros and the A's, two franchises that people basically wrote off for eternity. Um, the Astros due to their cheating scandal and losing some talent. And the A's due to the A's being the A's, who may be on the move. Uh, another big news there, the A's could be leaving Oakland, uh, which would leave Oakland with just the Golden State Warriors in city. Um, because the Golden State Warriors are officially, no, they're in San Francisco. So that would leave Oakland with no professional sports franchises uh, in the city. Uh, obviously, the Raiders are in Vegas. The A's are considering leaving. Vegas being one of the places they're talking about going. And the Warriors are no longer in San Oakland. They're in San Francisco. Um they left Oracle there in the Chase Center in downtown San Francisco. So that would be bad for the city of Oakland, losing all three of their sports franchises within 36 months. But it could happen. And so, yeah, that's huge for the A's. Just some news there. Uh, the Mets, shockingly, the Cardinals, I always say, are going to be good for per perpetuity. They've got a great management team and a great ownership group. Uh, the Padres look like their money was well spent in the offseason. Uh, and the Cubs are on the rise now, a team that, you know, both Chicago teams will currently be fighting for playoff spots with the White Sox being the number one seed in the AL and the Cubs uh, right on the fringe of the NL playoffs. So this is now going to shift into best for last. Baseball has an analytic problem. And yes, my point in this is there has been six no hitters thrown already this season. The baseball season is all of it's all of a month and a half, two months old, and there's already been six no hitters thrown this season. Well, Justin, why does that matter? The MLB record for an entire season is seven. There's already been six thrown. Why? Two reasons: analytics and the shift. Well, the defensive shift is, for we don't know a lot of baseball, before the play, I can, I, I analytically know you hit to right field 70% of the time. I know that. You hit to your right 70% of the time. You're a left-handed batter and you hit opposite field to the right 70% of the time. I know that. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my furthest left outfielder basically in center field. I'm going to have two outfielders on the right. I'm going to slide my entire infield to the right. And I'm going to make sure if it's a ground ball, we're on it. And if it's a pop fly, we're on it. There, 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 there is no real gap to the right. If you happen to go to the left, 
Oh well, if you happen to pull it and go to the left, we just gave up a double. Or you know, you slap it to the middle, we pretty much got coverage in the middle too. So if you that 10% chance you go to the left, you, 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 you just pulled a double. Just congratulations, you pulled a double. The problem is, it's only a 10% chance. So 90% of the time, he's gonna slap it, or he's gonna pull it rather, to the right. Or slap it to the right, because that's where he's hit the ball. So what that is, is that's putting people way out. So what they're doing is, if it goes on the ground, they're getting picked up because of the shift. And analytics say a ground ball is the worst thing you can hit. So people are now swinging for the fence, home runs, leading to more strikeouts, because a strikeout analytically is a lot better than a ground ball. Because a strikeout is one out, a ground ball can be two. So people are pulling for the fences, and people are trying to, in the defensive shift, it's eating averages up. Great hitters now are batting 270, 280 because of the shift instead of batting over 300. You know, it was amazing what Mike Trout was doing because he could, hit all, he could hit all over the field, so you couldn't shift. It is taking away the pull hitters. It's taking away the opposite field hitters because analytically people are just shifting that way, so they catch the ball anyway, and now the guys are out. And so unless they either get rid of the shift or change how analytics is thought of, the, the strikeouts and the no hitters are going to continue to rise, and I think it's boring. Um, guys can't really hit for contact anymore because they're hitting into a shift every play. Um, so I, I honestly think that unless they ban the defensive shift, which I think the shift should be banned, and get more base runs on the pass, even if everybody's swinging for the fences, if you ban the shift, you still can't get everybody out on every ground ball. You know, it's like they're going to get guys on the base path, not guys on the base path. Now you can't shift because you wouldn't even have to properly cover the base path if you're in the middle of a shift. See, now you're already starting to solve your no hit problems. You're solving your action problems. You possibly even solve your ratings problems for the casual viewer. Just a suggestion. What do I know? I'm just a casual fan of baseball. I'm a casual fan of sports. I'm just a talking head. It is what it is. But hey, that's be my suggestion if I was baseball would be to ban the defensive shifts. But that is all we have for today. A decently long show. One of my longer ones, but definitely one of my longer ones in recent memory. Um, but I'm glad you guys stuck around. Uh, next week, we'll be diving full on into the playoffs. We should be on game three or game four of a lot of series by then, or at least game two or game three of a lot of series by next Friday. The playoffs start on Sunday. Uh, so it's going to be a basketball heavy show for a few weeks. I uh, hope you guys are ready for that. I am. Uh, this is your host, Justin Jackson. Remember, follow the show on iTunes, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow the Twitter page at JTime Sports on Twitter and Instagram for breaking news uh, 95% of the time and show updates when we're going to post new episodes. Uh, that sort of thing is also on there, but it is mainly on there for breaking news. Uh, when I find out, you guys will. And so I would keep post notifications on. And definitely give me a follow on I, on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at JTime Sports on both of them. I repeat, at JTime Sports. It's your pull-up, Justin Time Sports. You should see the logo you see on the podcast screen on both of those sites. But again, this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out. And I hope you have a great rest of your weekend.